Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is April the 12th, 2010, 2011. That's what it is, folks. 150 years ago today, the first shot of our great American Civil War. (laughs) I snapped on the television. Last night, didn't sleep at all last night, there was Shelby Foote. Shelby Foote, uh, Southern writer, saw in the Ken Burns production of The Civil War. It's a long PBS special, a series, I guess. Um, an amazing, amazing documentary. Uh, Shelby Foote was very melancholy. He basically said that if we were the greatest nation in history, we would have found a way to avoid the Civil War, to transcend that situation, he said, because, of course, we did not find a way to avoid that horror. Uh, he said we then had to... Uh, <laughs> pretend we had to uh, act as if we were noble, you know, primate grandiosity. We had to turn it into a, uh, what is that, a noble tragedy. Uh, They're doing reenactments today all over the place. I I don't think I can stand those. Um, I would like to, yes, I would like to see them imagine or project, you know, if we have a society for creative anachronism, yes, let them, let them go back in history and figure out what could have happened so that we need not have, um, what is the word, uh, wounded ourselves, wounded our nation permanently and forever. The country will never be the same. Uh, tens of thousands of Euro-American white boys died. Huh. Tens of thousands died to end slavery. But, of course, tens of thousands died to preserve it. Go figure. I just, I just think, I just think we should try to enjoy April. (laughs) April is the cruelest month. I always find spring uh, a reproach because the world is in such chaos. I intend to forget it. I intend to uh, just uh, live in virtual reality 
I just watch old movies. History is my home now. I listen to the news for a few minutes, and uh, it's so overwhelming, and the pain is so acute. Uh, <laughs> I just, I get out a box of chocolates and a croissant, and when I'm scared, I eat everything I can. Anxiety has uh, put too many pounds on me. Uh, I'm sure that that's what Michelle Obama knows all about. You know, she says that these kids are obese. Partly because of their lifestyle, but also because of fear and anxiety. It's not just the computers and the couches. Now, we know that food is a comfort. Sometimes uh, sometimes it's the only comfort around. Uh, hmm, I watched a new series on cable TV, uh, something called The Borgias. And I thought, I want to go back to Rome just for the food, <laughs> not the poison, not the poison, you understand, but 1492, now that, that was worth a trip. Uh, I was thinking that if you watch carefully the political antics in this movie, it's almost exactly like the uh, antics in the Rome of uh, Octavian or Augustus Caesar, you know, a thousand years before that, right? Uh, and today, of course, we have the Sopranos, the Mafia. Mm -hmm. You know, murder is just business. Um, you know, when you need to consolidate power, you either marry off your daughters or murder your enemies. Anyway, I, I hate, I hate to recommend the Borgias just in case there are some people out there who object to um, <laughs> uh, pictures, well, images of a table full of enemies. Um, <laughs> it's the king of Naples. He stuffs his enemies and sits them down at the board. He, he set them up. It looks like the Last Supper. He hasn't found his Judas yet, his son says. Anyway, <laughs> that did it, I think. Uh, be warned, be warned. Um, this one is pretty gory, but Jeremy Irons as... Uh, Rodrigo Borgia, uh, Pope Alexander Sextus, he was, uh, yes, let's see, he was made Pope in, well, it's about 1492. He speaks of the, um, the Jews and the Moors all being kicked out of uh, Spain. The Borgias were from Spain. And so he invites them to Rome. They're very wealthy and, uh, Apparently, I'm not sure how historically accurate this stuff is, but I'm going to look it up because Jeremy Irons is a terrific uh, multicultural pope. He thinks we all have the same God. We should just uh, get together, you know. We would be better off that way, wealthier, you know. Actually, the holy wars are an excuse for uh, stealing the resources, of the other nations. The, there's a lovely young man who is sent to uh, Rome from the Middle East and uh, he embraces Christianity because he sees how loving and kind the Christians are. He compares them to his Muslim society and uh, in spite of his four wives and I don't know, 50 concubines or something, he finds life in the West, that is in Rome, to be morally superior. 
he sits there uh, with uh, Cesare Borgia and Lucretia Borgia and their younger brother Juan, and they're all so happy together. Uh, <laughs> it seems, though, that his uncle, or his brother, I guess it was, anyway, somebody back home uh, writes to the Pope and tells him that uh, he will increase the money tenfold if the boy never comes home. And so the poisoning begins. Anyway, uh, this this show has a huge cast. Uh, the dinner tables just groan with all the food. And <laughs> never mind that poison always puts an end to the host before dessert. Uh, I liked especially a monkey. Cesare Borgia uses this little monkey as a taster, just in case, you remember. I remember in, let's see, I, Claudius, and the series Rome, they had wonderful roles for the poisoners. They were always discussing the the uh, ways in which the poison should be administered. You know, they didn't want to make a mistake. No amateurs here, anyway. Uh, the luscious dishes are paraded out in the kitchen there, and Jeremy Irons slips little bribes into the innards of ducks and rabbits and chickens and roast beef. Everyone eats with their fingers. Um, I'm trying to think whether or not uh, there's still, yes, in 1492, there's still a few of them eating on couches. Mostly they're seated at great tables by now, but as I'm always saying, <laughs> yes, History doesn't repeat itself, but God, the people do. Same scene. The uh, scenes with the cardinals all eating together in conclave while they select the next pope. <laughs> That's wonderful. The, the um, uh, well, Jeremy Irons, uh, he, he being uh, a man who enjoys his comforts, uh, he brings wine from his country house and he... He gives all the cardinals little little treats, you know. Uh, the opening sequence in the uh, in the series, the Borgias, has Pope Innocent dying in the first scenes. Uh, the Borgias have to lobby for the the job, you know. They they do that counting, and then there's the black smoke and the white smoke and all that nonsense. Uh, at some point. Uh, Borgia, the old man, the father, Jeremy Irons, says that he does draw the line at murder. His son, Cesare, obviously has no such scruples. Mm. Cesare's soft spot is for his kid sister, Lucrezia. She's age 14. Uh, she looks like, oh gosh, she looks like a cake. She's so beautiful. Uh, Plans are afoot to marry her, of course, consolidate power. Uh, as Jeremy Iron says, what would Rome be without plots? I wonder what Washington, D.C. would be without plots. <laughs> you remember the movie Primary Colors? I think we could do better than that. I think uh, we need some new new theater to express what has gone on in democracy, these uh, plots and counterplots. Anyway, the first episodes in the Borgias give us these painterly sets and costumes. Uh, everyone 
looks like a, a Renaissance masterpiece. Those faces and noses, those robes. Uh, I, I thought of Fellini's movie Roma. You remember that movie? Uh, Fellini gave us an evangelical fashion show, you know, with the priests on skates going around <laughs> as the costumes become more and more garish and bizarre. The purples and the reds, the golds, uh, the silver. I thought of the uh, the laws of Julius Caesar. He put out sanctuary laws, you know, Caesar's wife shouldn't be overdressed, that sort of thing. Uh, uh, conspicuous consumption was uh, vulgar. Mm. By 1492, there's no such compunctions. It's all ostentatious show, primate grandiosity. I thought of another movie I saw at four in the morning. Uh, it's all about St. Francis going to visit the Pope. Yes, the Pope was uh, somebody like Alec Guinness, right? Alec Guinness played the, the Pope, and little St. Francis goes to visit him. Uh, that was a uh, movie by Zeffirelli, right? Um, brother, son, sister, moon, and the uh, the... Uh, poverty-stricken St. Francis, who has thrown away all his worldly goods, comes to the Pope and shames him. The Pope bows down and kisses his feet. Once again, being politically correct, he knows <laughs> how to use how to use these uh, these noble saints. I I thought Derek Jacoby was going to give us some gravitas in this. Uh, production of the Borgias, but uh, his character is as despicable as all the rest. Uh, he doesn't make it out of the first episode. The College of Cardinals is a devilish spectacle. Uh, at one point, they examine Jeremy Irons for manhood. Yes, testicular proof, it's called. Yes, testify to virility. Testament. Uh, he must be examined. Uh, he must prove himself a biological male. <laughs> Remember, there once was a time a woman slipped into the job of Pope. I think it was Pope Joan, was it? Anyway, uh, that scene is handled quite uh, humorously. Uh, at some point, Jeremy Irons slips up um i think it's after he's been crowned as it were he has a moment when the silence of god is mentioned and he kind of is overcome i suppose we're going to have a spiritual uh crisis coming up i don't know when uh we all know that uh what a priest <laughs> what a priest needs yes is the love of god uh he certainly doesn't need testicles of course this show attempts to be historically factual. Uh, there's, what is it, plenty of license, but there's also a lot of historical fact here. Uh, I was watching carefully. The uh, Borgias were, of course, Spaniards, and the Jews were being uh, thrown out of Spain at that point. And, um, yes, um, the the Pope... <laughs> Rodrigo Borgia invites them to come 
and uh, live in Rome. After all, they're so wealthy. Uh, <laughs> and besides, they're so Eastern, right? The Pope's uh, large family uh, has to be, what is it? Um, well, has to be publicly ignored once he becomes Pope. I think he had uh, 12 children. Uh, after he becomes Pope, he has a clandestine mistress. He still is seen to uh, love his children in public, but his wife of many years is very angry. She makes some trouble. Uh, the women were oppressed, of course, uh, not perhaps the way they are in the East, although I don't think there's much to choose from. They are used, whatever the style is. Uh, some people used to say that, well, you know, Henry VIII's wives, you know, were at least... Um, uh, serial, serial monogamy. He didn't have six at once. Uh, actually, I guess uh, patriarchy comes in every style and shape. Uh, I look back at the ancients, at the, uh, well, it was called Mother Right, the law that said that uh, it was the mother of the child who was the true parent. Uh, goes back to goddess religions, you know. The Pope's mistress tells the Pope's daughter Lucrezia that her task is to manipulate the desires of men to her advantage. You know all that stuff. Uh, <laughs> it's all gone now. It's gone away forever. Women's rights have won the day and we'll never have to put up with that nonsense again. So, if you want to watch women trying to survive and thrive by using influence instead of getting uh, rights, you can try the Showtime channel for the Borges. <laughs> Actually, yes, you might try Nurse Jackie. That's my favorite. Uh, she certainly, uh, what is it, knows that right might makes right. That's what Jackie does, yes. She just, uh, she blocks them, punches them out right to their face, uh, actually. Uh, I think the, what is it, the feminist fist in the air is completely out of fashion. It's not working. I'm hooked on these reruns, these, what is that, these uh, telescopes, these microscopes into the past. I, I just want more and more history. I need to prove to myself that human beings will never change and that human nature does not change. Technology has changed and it may change enough to save us. I doubt it, but it might. Uh, I think that um, 1492 is not so long ago. Uh, I'm waiting for them to mention Columbus setting off for the new world, yes. Actually, there's been some mention of colonialism. Uh, the Spanish crowd orders the Jews to leave Spain. That was fun. Uh, once upon a time, there were even Moors in Spain, Arabs actually, Muslims. The 15th century was very dramatic, uh, that split, you know. There are a number of poems, mostly by uh, Yeats, talking about the way that the East and West change each millennium, you know. Apparently, the 21st century is the beginning of a new Eastern 
Eastern Millennium, the caliphate, according to W.B. Yeats, is on its way back in. <laughs> Get ready, folks. Yes. Get ready to do the big switch. Um, it's almost like a change of the magnetic poles. Uh, I thought of that watching another film, something called Agora, all about uh, Egypt, Alexandria, back in the year 391, I think it was, yes. It's the library in Alexandria and Hypatia, a wonderful woman philosopher. Uh, that movie, uh, let's see, I got that on Showtime, I think. The movie is a mess. I think it was probably originally a series because the editing is all chopped up. But basically, the argument is about the pagans and the Christians. And Agora gives us a very interesting spin on Christianity. Uh, very unpleasant folks in that movie. Uh, the pagans are the liberals, the... Uh, what is it? The people who have open minds. <laughs> Until, of course, they're confronted with Christianity. Uh, interesting movie. I, I'm i not sure. Hypatia was, of course, a feminist hero for those of us who studied uh, the women of the ancient world. Uh, she was a, a doctor, a healer. Anyway... By the 15th century, the women are uh, still, what is it, still only occasional actors. Uh, pretty traumatic, the Borgias, the family. It, uh, you know, it was used against them that they were Spanish. They were other. Always there is otherism. Uh, these days, it seems to be almost entirely the other religion, the other color. But otherism doesn't seem to go away. Now, all this information is as old as thought. I, I love history because it teaches us that the wisdom is always there. We, we just have to access it. There's some wonderful scenes in the movie Agora in which Hypatia, the woman teacher, tries to instruct young men. It's fascinating to watch. Uh, Yes, <laughs> uh, late Roman Empire, a woman instructing young men, and they sit there taking notes. Very interesting stuff. Uh, she tries to explain to them that they are all brothers. I remember once saying here on the air uh, that uh, it's interesting to ask young men, uh, students the age of, say, say uh, say 16 to 22 ask them if they could think of a woman a female as their fellow man now linguistically it is okay to do that if you go back in the language there were male human beings and female human beings but we were all men uh and, of course, most people say no. I have a note here from a listener. She said, oh, no, 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 I don't want to be one of the guys. I don't want to be uh, uh, a pal. I, I understand perfectly what she means. What I meant was that under law, of course, men and women should have the same legal 
writes. That seems easy enough. Uh, hmm, even Theodore Roosevelt believed that in his graduation address. Uh, <laughs> from college, yes, would he go to Yale? I think he went to Yale. No, he went to Harvard. Anyway, Teddy Roosevelt got up and gave a speech, and he said that, of course, women should be equal to men under law, just as cripples and consumptives are equal to athletes and intellectuals under law. <laughs> anyway, Hypatia is the philosopher, doctor, healer, who uh, was, of course, uh, eliminated, destroyed by the Christian uh, doctrines. Ah, well, yes, we see a lot of women who might be called pagan today, uh, called witches and so forth. Uh, <laughs> witches, yes. Uh, there is a scene in which Hypatia takes her menstrual blood and hands it to a young man who has fallen in love with her and made a public display of his love and affection. She says, what beauty do you find in that? And I thought, dear me, I wonder if that's a politically correct. Um, hmm. If um, the biologically feminine is anathema, why then, she's very modern. Anyway, late 4th century. Hypatia. I think, yes, I remember doing her in college a couple of times. Uh, oh, these poor young men, how are they to sort it all out? Uh, when the young man gives her a musical instrument, she returns the gift, yes, giving him the bloody cloth. And it becomes a joke around Alexandria. I believe that I read that that story may have been true. God knows. Uh, he plays music for her. And she gives him this biological detritus. Uh, and she does it in front of all the male students. Um, she says that he must look elsewhere for fulfillment uh, Anyway, that has to be a first, at least, at least on my television set. Wendy Wasserstein tried something like that in her play, The Heidi Chronicles. What was it she did? Yes, oh, she said, yes, I am one who has tasted my menstrual blood. That was done with a masochistic edge. Hypatia's dead serious, apparently. Uh, what she did reminds me of a line by Edna St. Vincent Millay. Edna Millay wrote, whether or not we find what we are seeking is idle, biologically speaking. <laughs> yes, I watched Elizabeth Taylor playing a witch. And I even know what a trip. Elizabeth in white as a witch. Remember her? She was in white in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. She was in white in Butterfield 8, the opening scene when she ran around in that satin slip. She went to visit uh, Eddie Fisher, tormented him. <laughs> I saw her in a scene from Secret Ceremony. It's a terrific 1968 movie she made with Mia Farrow and Robert Mitchum. That movie was all about sexual pathology, about how women must be, what is the word, broken. Mia Farrow has to be properly raped, uh, 
Oh, there were some little bit parts in that play by Peggy Ashcroft and Pamela Brown. Loved that movie. Nobody else did. Oh, I've run out of time, and I had so many more movies to tell you about. I want to watch all the rest of the Elizabeth Taylor movies just one more time before I let them go. Uh, if you watch her in secret ceremony, you will see her devour food the way the Romans did. <laughs> she eats a breakfast in about five minutes flat and belches like Henry VIII. That's secret ceremony. This has been Jennifer Stone. Be back on the air. Same time next week. Goddess willing. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Spring has finally arrived, and with it, an exhilarating rush of fresh air. The New Living Expo at the Concourse in San Francisco. Dates are April 29th through May 1st. Celebrating 10 years of exploring better choices and new directions, the Expo returns with hundreds of exhibitors, more than 90 highly respected speakers, and three special events featuring Daryl Hannah with Julia Butterfly Hill, Greg Braden, and Dick Gregory. Spring into a lively, interactive, and stimulating environment where new ideas blossom, relationships take root, and bathe in the sweet realm of possibility. Listen to Amy Goodman, Danian Brinkley, and Caroline Casey. Eat, play, listen. Details and the program guide are online at newlivingexpo.com or call 415-382-8300. Sponsored by KPFA Radio.